Hey everybody, this is your host Clayton Mashad, and welcome back to Improv Town. In this episode, I get to talk to one of my favorite improvisers, Tim Thibodeau. You might know Tim as a member of Improv Jones, which is Rhode Island's longest-running improv troupe, or more than likely you know him as the director of the Providence Improv Fest, uh, which has been going on for 14 years, and he's been involved with that the whole time. Uh, We had a great conversation. It actually uh, took about two hours. I wanted to talk to him about fests and forms and uh, improv festivals and long-form forms. And uh, he had about an hour's worth of stuff to say on both topics. So I've decided to split this interview up into two parts. So the first episode today, this episode is going to be all about improv fests. So if you've ever uh, considered starting your own fest, or maybe you are involved in a fest and you're looking for ways to make it even better, and then this episode is going to have everything you need. As always, if you like this podcast, uh, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts, and like the Facebook page. All right, thanks a lot. All right, cool. So, uh... Let's get started. So, uh, let's just start with some intro stuff. How did you, uh, how did you get started doing improv? How did I get started? Huh. So, I guess when I first had the first interest to it was after college. I went to, uh, Eastern Connecticut and I did like a Kind of like a college Saturday Night Live sketch show, recorded show, and stuff like that. wasn't live or anything. I guess the studio part was live, but I kind of got into comedy doing that. And I didn't know how to really transition out of there when I got out of college. I didn't really want to move to New York at the time to do like TV or anything like that. But uh, and this was before YouTube, so <laughs> that capability wasn't there. So I just took a class in Boston. I believe it was uh, CP casting in Boston, which I don't even know if that exists anymore. Caroline Pickman, the studio, I think they called it too. So I took a class. I really liked it right after college. Took a few acting classes like that. And then uh, I think I took a class with Casey Seymour Kim, at the, which was the Perishable Theater at the time. And that was my first kind of like uh, local class. And this was probably in Jeez, I don't remember when that class was, about 2000, 2002 maybe, something like that. Um, then I took some time off, <laughs> just kind of didn't, didn't catch on, because at the time it was just Improv Jones around here. Um, there was a, you know, New York stuff, UCB stuff, but I... I uh, yo, all that, all that kind of stuff. But around here, there really wasn't that many things. I just kind of lost track of it, I guess. And when I really, really got into it, I was working at uh, Ocean State Job Lot doing uh, the, the ads and stuff like that. You know, modeling for the advertisements. <laughs> oh my god! You were Ocean <laughs> I was State models because I did the ads with. The, I worked there for about a year. Content. Yeah. <laughs> we need to talk more about that. What do you mean you did the ads? Like the. The ads. I wasn't. I understand what ads are, but what what did you do? So I was a graphic designer. 
<laughs> okay, so you so just... I helped put them together. You know, I wasn't the main one. I was just kind of like... So you were neither a model nor doing voices. Or right, anything. so we, Ocean State Job Lot uses all the people that work there for all the ads. So they try on all the stuff and, uh, uh, and, and you... Uh, you become a model for it, and then you take pictures for all these things. So I was in, I'm, I'm in probably like five or six Ocean State job lot ads and packages and stuff. Oh, so like you, that. Yeah, so you yeah, were a model. Yeah, so I used to hold the gazebos and like random <laughs> clothes that didn't match someone walking around. You're in like a wetsuit. <laughs> yeah, no wetsuit. I was in a police security guard outfit, uh, sweatshirts that didn't really fit me. A guy carrying a gazebo. Yeah, I used to make all. How do you carry a gazebo? I don't like in a, in like a like a holster or something like that. You know, you roll them up and you got them in the, okay. the carrying bag. I get it. Like, more like a tent. Like a tent, yes. Not a, but like a... Not like a gazebo that people stand on when they get married. No, not like that. Not like holding it. Like a giant, <laughs> I was like, like a you you're holding a gazebo? I know I'm a tall guy, but I'm not that big. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I was wearing like a, a plaid shirt too. Like carrying, trying to be an outdoorsman. It didn't really match the package of the, the whole thing, but I didn't put that together. They're so trying I, to kill two birds with one stone. They're like, check out our flannel line. Yeah, basically, we get this product in. We need someone to take a picture, and we need uh, we need uh, someone to design the package for it because everything kind of we they direct ordered from China and stuff like that. So they make the packages and relabel it and call it their own brand. You know what I mean? So I used to design like oh, trade secrets. I we don't get in trouble. Yeah, like knives and stuff like that. I used to design the packages for that, mini fans, all those sorts of things. Uh, I didn't work there that long. A lot of the stuff was just doing like random behind, you know, non-fun stuff at job lot. But uh, <laughs> from there, I actually met someone who showed me uh, an article in the paper uh, for Unexpected Company, who was based out of Warwick. She knew, I guess she had been to one of their shows. They had just started up and there was an article in the Providence Journal, I think, or the Warwick Beacon, I can't remember. But they were having auditions. So at the time, I was like, all right, I'll do it. This is kind of something I really wanted to do. You know, I, I, I was always kind of like a, a, a funny person. You know, at parties, I'd just make stuff up and, you know, like pretend I was passed out drunk on a table. And I just, I'd keep the joke up for hours. I'd put my head down, put all bottles around me. And I'd just pretend I was passed out for hours, you know. <laughs> and people would say, you were crazy. You were so drunk and stuff. But I never really drank at the time either, so... Uh, I used to pretend to do all that stuff. So I was always kind of just doing dumb stuff, like making stuff up on the spot, like improvising my way through parties and social scenes. But and but I, I wasn't a good storyteller or joke teller, so I didn't want to become a stand-up comedian. So I figured once I saw this thing, oh, yeah, maybe this will work. So I went on the audition, got into that. Pretty, pretty cool. They had just started, I think, six months earlier. Um, and then, uh, I started with Unexpected Company, <laughs> and there was about, like, 18 people in it, about six people had just auditioned, got into, it was a huge group of people. Holy shit, that's yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people, it was huge, it was way, way too many people to do it, and a lot of people were, uh, we were trained by someone called Tim Hillman, uh, doc, Dr. Tim, as everyone called him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, he said, uh, you know, uh, that he used to do in L.A. He was in the group with uh, Lisa Kudrow and Conan O'Brien. We still haven't proven that to be a fact yet, but uh, <laughs> that's what he said. But uh, I was in Jazz Freddy. <laughs> also what? <laughs> we haven't, I don't know, we haven't proven that to be a fact. But J.J. Lang, he actually started that too, Justin Lang. 
he actually started out with Dr. Tim. They were talking in a blockbuster video, I guess, in Warwick. <laughs> just started talking about improv. That's where JJ belongs. Right. And so JJ, who knows, he's like the mayor of New England and New York. He knows everyone. He's a oh, super friendly. So he started talking to this guy, Dr. Tim, one day. And they, Dr. Tim told him how he used to do improv out in L.A. Uh, so they started to form a group. And then a bunch of people from URI, Andrew Mandillo and Mick Mandillo, a bunch of other people started to get together. And uh, perform as well. Frank Fusaro, Matt Archambault, I think Tom Reedy, uh, Greg DeSantis, Brian Perry. They all started to perform together. And uh, I guess six months later, I, I joined the group. I auditioned and made it into it. So that's how I started. So with Unexpected Company. Yeah. So with 18 people, what did you, what type of, uh, what did you guys like do for a form? What type uh, of improv were you doing? So the form was called, <laughs> so. Uh, the Morris. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen that. Uh, Real Mature from the Providence Improv Guild. they kind of done it a little way. So, but at the time, it was everyone did a monologue, essentially. this These shows, when they when I first started, though, these shows had like... 18 people each no, person? No, they were like, it was like 18 people performing on stage, and but they were, the crowds were huge. We played at the Warwick Museum of Art. We had like, I think because everyone was in college and everyone worked at like the YMCA, so everyone's friends came over. And he performed on Sunday, and the time was seven seventeen on the Sunday. Everyone thought it was a religious thing, but it wasn't. <laughs> so people thought we were like this super religious, culty uh, improv group, but it wasn't. I'm not quite sure why they started that. I think it was just because it, it was different, so they wanted to get like a little. I mean, I think most most shows, improv shows that say they start at seven, start at seventeen, seven seventeen. Right, anyway. So I think it was accurate, more accurate at that time. So the shows are always but, but then the show would start at seven thirty. Yeah. The shows were crazy. They had like seventy five people at the shows sold out. And they were a really, really fun time. The improv prov was was pretty terrible. It was just, you know, like anyone just starting off, it was people making, you know, rude jokes just to get jokes, you know. Myself included, you know, people just kind of doing the the reaction kind of stuff. That's just to get people going. Uh you know, and after a while, it gets a little boring and, you know, kind of familiar and stuff like that. So that's how it started. It was a lot of fun. And I right away, I was like, oh, I love doing it, you know. It's kind of just what I needed. Uh, I kind of been, you know, uh, kind of, I don't know, like a, at that point, I was probably like a little depressed and stuff like that. I had a tough few years before, just kind of in and out of just whatever. And that kind of finally was home for me, you know what I mean, kind of getting into that, so I was, uh, kind of found something that I was really passionate about for the first time in, like, a long time, um, and from there, I kind of grew and just kind of got obsessed with it at that point, so. And so what year was that, how long ago? So I started Unexpected Company, in Unexpected Company in 2003, I believe, so they started, I think, in January, I'm not quite sure of the date when they started, but early 2003. And then I started in, I think, July 2003. So that was... So was Piff already had... What year is Piff now? Piff started in 2004. So so there was already... Yeah, January 2004, I believe, was the first Piff. The Providence Improv Festival. Providence Improv Festival, that's right. Um, we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> uh, and so then... Um, 
Well, actually, we'll talk about that now. Right. So then how long, uh, how did you end up getting involved? So you now run the Providence of Brevest. Yeah. How did you end up getting involved with that at first? So the first one was, I believe, so the first Providence of Brevest was Mauro Hantman's idea, who's an un- Improv Jones, who was one of the original members of Improv Jones, who had started in 1992, which he told me once, but it might be 1993, because he told me it might be 93 too, but they've been around, Improv Jones has been around. Rhode Island's longest, longest running, running, 25 years. Improv troupe. Yeah, which I'm a member of now too, since uh, 2004, I believe. So, he wanted it to be uh, like a local thing, so it was, uh, they were only at the time, it was Improv Jones, Unexpected Company has been around for about seven, eight months at the time when he had the idea, and Speed of Thought Plays, who were in Adelbar, Massachusetts, uh, performing all the time there. So we were the only three real improv groups around. Um, so what he wanted to do is showcase the three kind of local groups. So we asked everyone, and kind of the people that were really active in those three groups to get together and kind of come up and figure out how we can do this festival. So, we so you were together. there from the beginning? I was there from the beginning, yeah. Me and Brian Perry came with uh, Unexpected Company. I don't think anyone showed up from Speed of Thought Players, uh, but uh, they were they were invited. I just don't think they showed up or something happened. And then Maura Hantman, Casey Seymour Kim, and I believe Krista Crutzen was there too. I think that was it at the time. Um, there might have been a couple other people that were So there, were, you, there was no... Uh, didn't invite any. No, we didn't invite anyone. It was just three. So the first day was. Uh, uh, but it was more than one day. But those it was two were... days, and it was it two was days, two, two days in January, fourth or fifth, and it was super successful. All right, that's actually how I met my wife. At the, well, yeah, that's how we kind successful of successful enough. Right, seeing a first big festival. But you, you know? said you got two two groups, and it was two three days. Groups, three groups. Speed of Thought ended up showing. They just didn't get involved in the meetings. Oh, oh, oh. Right? they didn't. Okay, they didn't yeah, show up in the meetings. I misunderstood that. So they didn't get involved in the meetings. So the first festival was Speed of Thought Players, Improv Jones, and Unexpected Company. I think the first night we each did our own thing. We each performed our own set, uh, and then uh, the second night I think we performed a little bit, and then we mashed up the groups together there. And both nights we had lines out the, you know, and. and at uh, AS220 Black Box, which was perishable theater back then. Uh, so lines going out the door, we had like over, you know, we probably broke fire codes and stuff like that both nights. And uh, so we did really, really well. And the, after that year, uh, yeah, the, the, the second day too, we had like some local groups, I guess uh, Rejects on the Rise from Providence College joined in. There might have been some other uh, kind of... Uh, local high school thing or something that took part in it too, like a, like a jam, a big improv jam at the time. <laughs> so <laughs> it was so small, the very first one, and it went super well in the middle of Jan, uh, the beginning of January when who knows would come out, uh, and uh, it went really well. So the next year we had it go on from, uh, I think, June. We started doing it in June because uh, Morrow was the head of it, and then when he was done, he's an actor at the Trinity Rep in Providence. So once that the season was over there, he had time to kind of do the festival. So as soon as we could perform, he was done performing there. The festival would take part and go from there. And then since then, every year we've kind of 
we've kind of grown and we've had bigger years than some years and smaller years than other years but you know it's it's, it's changed and done pretty well throughout the years i think you know yeah i mean yeah. it's great last year was great this year was great yeah it's been better and better so thanks for letting us perform <laughs> let everyone so the idea so it's a, no. oh so okay thanks no no don't, let so <laughs> don't worry i let everyone perform <laughs> no the idea is to let as many it's 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 for you know local groups to kind of get to be a part of the national groups you know to see them to be on the same stage of them to share the same show block as them and have everyone that comes to a show not only see like maybe a headlining act from Boston or from LA or wherever they're from, but they get to see a local group that's either just, you know, getting their feet wet into it or have been around for a while. And if they see, you know, a mixture of those two, you can compare each, you know, how's that local group stack up with the, the, the national group? Pretty good, I think, right? Or so they can say, oh, this local group's here all the time? Well, let's go see them every week, you know? Let's go see them. Let me get into this. Let me, how, do I, how am I supposed to do that, you know? And then they can start... Watching shows, performing, you know, that's the idea of it all. Yeah. Cool. So when did you, like, uh, so now it's basically just you who runs it, though. I mean, I know you have, this year, this year Eric was, like, your co-person and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Eric, Eric really joins, uh, he, he helps big time uh, leading up to the fast and stuff like that. Uh, Casey Seymour Kim has been there. She wasn't able to do as much this year just because of other things that she was in, but... Um, the last few years I've kind of really taken it over because it's just life changes for people more moved out to, uh, Oregon for a few years. You say Oregon or Oregon. I don't know. I don't say anything right. I think I, I think I would say Oregon. <laughs> I can't even, how do you say salsa? Is it salsa or salsa? salsa? Yeah. What do you, how do you say it? Salsa. salsa. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't say many words right. So I get yelled at all the time, but he moved out to Oregon so he couldn't do it anymore. Um, he was gone, so he kind of gave it to a committee. And at the time, I was having a, you know, I was having a child, and Lilithu Russell was having a child a little after that. So it was really tough to kind of figure it out and get it all together. I think Melissa ran it for a year, kept it kind of nice and local, because uh, you know, I think New England wise and stuff like that, just because there's, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, but the last few years, I've kind of, kind of tried to put aside like uh the really tough stuff to do you know and try to kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work and what's worth the effort and what's not worth the effort and uh so many people around here have uh they, they're they're really occupied in other things so it's really tough to kind of have a lot of people kind of commit the time that needs to be done into it and it's also tough for like say uh uh, in some situations, and this is what Morrow kind of dealt with too, and I, I didn't quite fully understand until I started doing it, where you, you ask someone to do something when it's just as quick for you to do the thing that you ask someone else to do. And if it's some other person doesn't get that thing done in time, then it becomes a double kind of thing for you to do later on when you're not appropriate. So at this point, I kind of space it out, and I'm able to kind of you know, figure out what needs to be done and if stuff I really don't think I could do or think stuff's better than, I ask those people that I think they can do it. If they can't do it, that's perfectly fine. You know what I mean? Um, but I've kind of got it where it's running. I think I, I know what needs to be done. Let's get this done. What can I do? What can I not do? 
and then let's figure out who can fill in those places right there. And Eric Fulford, he at this point he like he sets the schedule in for me. He kind of is a lifesaver during the fest. He's like secondhand man. He makes sure everything kind of runs smooth and gets done um, throughout the year. I ask for advice. What do you think about having this person come to the fest? Can you watch some of these videos for me? Because I can't watch all these videos. Who do you think with this decision? What do you think about this piece of artwork? What do you think about this? All these certain decisions, I try to throw it out there for so many people. So it's not just not my idea on the whole thing. You know, I, I can't... Yeah, you asked me who I thought we should bring, and I said Craig and Carmen Kikoski, yeah, and you ended up bringing them. We brought them, right? I was and, thinking... Yeah, and like, then you stole the design from my t-shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't technically steal that design. I think I stole it from 10 other things, too, looking at it. But it's a nice design, I think, you know? Cool, so it sounded like you guys had... Sounds like you guys had very humble beginnings. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask was, what advice you would give to someone who <clears throat> who wanted to, who was in a city that didn't have a festival and wanted to start a festival? And so, so like Ocean State mm-hmm. Improv Fest just did their first one. Yeah, and obviously they got uh, like they got parallel. I don't even, I'm trying to even want to try to say the full parallelogram of photograph. photograph. Yeah. Oh, we both said it at the same time. Uh, <laughs> they got like you know, so they got them and they had Airwolf. Um, right. I guess those were, those were like the two big out of state ones. Versus you guys seem to be very successful with just starting off more local. So yes. So my question: What advice would you give to someone who wanted to, who was going to start a festival in a place that? Doesn't have one. Doesn't have one, or even if it does have one. So, for I would say for a group that doesn't have one, depending on how your local scene is, I think you really need to incorporate as much as the local scene as possible, right? So I know there's different uh, factions of different scenes going on. Like Rhode Island is a small state, but we have a lot of improv, right? Right, uh, we have the very the three, it's like... Pig, which is UCB, CTC, which is Johnstonian, and then Bit Players, which is, whose line is it anyway? Right, and, and now it's... we got the BYO, who does, like, whose line is it, too, short form as well, and they also have Wage House that just opened. Oh, and then of course, of course, Wage House, I don't and want to. And then Friday Night Live, too, that does something, too, as well. So there's all, there's a lot of different things that kind of open up throughout the way. So, so for, a, for, like, a community that doesn't have that, I think it's important that, you know, you're not going to be successful if you kind of exclude don't forget pipes too pipes too they're in there as well uh you, you gotta exclude uh you don't want to exclude the community because the community changes too like when like i said when we first started it was three groups that didn't really talk to each other <laughs> so it was just you you're on this side you do this side and you do this thing right we're not going to talk to each other and it, it was like that for a long time and it, it kind of changed i think once I, uh, we started kind of mixing performers into different groups and stuff like that. So with a festival, I think it's great to kind of showcase what's going on in the scene, right? If they're taking it seriously, if they're really performing, if they're, they're having shows every week, every month or anything like that, they need to be part of it as much as you can. Um, one thing I try to do when running the festival here is say, I look at who are the performers that really love doing improv here you know that people that perform often take classes show up at other shows uh promote things and do whatever else you know i can't just have or you can't just have just 
only the best performers perform and that's it you know what i mean it, it's got to be kind of a mixture of different things so so if if there's a group that just started out but they have an idea of what they're doing but they might not be at the same level as the other group that's been doing it for 15 years you can't just exclude them i don't think you know you got to kind of bring them in because of the future wave they're the next generation of performers you know they're really into it they really love it and you're going to find out if they're in this it might become a bigger community you know they'll start they'll start talking to each other it won't be kind of a rivalry or anything like that you'll start doing it i think also too you showcase your local groups with the national groups if you can bring in any national groups and you kind of showcase them you see you can learn from each other by watching each other, by just talking backstage, becoming friends backstage and stuff like that with other performers from different communities. Uh, you might see them doing something that uh, that's interesting and new to you. I think when I first started doing improv festivals, traveling to different improv festivals, I'd watch them warm up. You know, you see another group warm up and they're doing this kind of fun new warm-up game you've never seen, right? You're used to doing the same you know, big booty 5,000 times, right? But you see this other group do something completely different, and you're like, oh, that's awesome, right? And you start talking with each other, and they start giving you different ideas, and they see you do something. So you start getting this community expanding a little bit bigger. So if you have the local scene kind of really bridge out, you get that local community a bit bigger, and you kind of insert the national groups, the groups that are cool people that do different things, kind of bringing them in, perform together, um, local early on too you kind of see if you can mix them together we, we did a lot of like jams early on I think in the festivals uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not a big fan of jams like that's why the improv fest now our, our jam is really insane and crazy we do like a lot the roulette jam right it's yeah, very it's, um, it's very it's very nuts it's just sticky to have a, not sticky yeah. that's not the right word but very... it is kind of sticky it's just to have fun we have these weird challenges where we're shooting nerf guns at you at the same time or right it's not know. just like all right you all go up there and uh, right. do a montage because very rarely does that present good improv even if you want to perform with someone else you know that's great but not all the time are you going to have a great connection because improv is you know it takes a long time to really kind of gel with someone you know what i mean even if you got two great performers you're not always going to kind of connect right away. Every once in a while, you'll see that in a jam, but a lot of times you might not, right? Right. I feel like a lot of the times... That the, I've seen great jams, but a lot of the time it's... I feel like the benefit of doing the jams uh, at a theater that has a school is that it allows people who like haven't done improv, if you can convince them to do the jam, then yeah. they're like, oh, this was fun, I'm going to take the classes. So like, it's, right. it's a good idea to do... If you're a theater that has classes, right. but are you, yes, is it, are they the best shows? Right, so at a different? festival it's a little bit different. Right, because you're not, there's not pith classes. Right, so it's different, so you get an opportunity, you do get an opportunity to perform with each other, I think in a lot of ways, which is great, but also not all the times everyone that you want to perform with ends up performing, and uh, there's only, only so many things you can kind of, kind of schedule in a, a weekend, like our, our first pith shows used to go to like two in the morning, like we'd actually have shows we'd sell tickets for till two in the morning it'd be insanely late you know what i mean uh and at that time no one wants to see anymore even if you're doing great work it's just not worth it so i think having jams early on is great because you kind of that's how if you're a new festival in a new theater that probably hasn't been to other festivals you get to kind of you can get to mix yourself into these other environments from outside places and just see how they perform and do it um, 
you know, as the scene grows, like right now, Providence Improv Fest doesn't really have as much time as we used to because we're booking shows. We're trying to give as many local performers and national acts a good time slot, a good at least 20 minutes or whatever we can do that it's tough to really do a jam at, you know, one in the morning like we used to <laughs> just because I think everyone's so tired and the way it works. So it kind of it kind of seems like what your advice is is uh, if you're at the stage where you're doing the festival, in order to uh, to like introduce the local people to each other, mm-hmm. then uh, then just having a free for all jam can be really useful. But the more that goes on, and everyone kind of gets to know each other and it and it grows then uh well, as it grows you're gonna have more hopefully more of a community you know right so, like from the three groups now to how many local groups did we have in the fest this year i think like something like 18 groups you know ton right so it's gonna grow so the, the fest festivals that you have are gonna be launching pads for people to get inspired to want to do improv right and then the performers and the people that start the fest are going to be inspired to perform with people from outside groups, right? And hopefully they go to other festivals when they're starting that to see other festivals and see how they're run and see how they're done. That's another thing I do too. I go, don't start a fest if you've never been to a fest. Not like your local next door fest, but another fest. Not just like uh, the Del Close Marathon because that's that's a, a fest, but that's also like so many... It's a different type of thing, you know what I mean? You got to go to like a another fest, like a uh, uh, like Philly has a great improv festival. I think I started there. I think I went there two or three times when I started out. Uh, New York has a bunch of festivals. Baltimore has a good festival. All, all sorts of different things. Florida, Miami has a, you know all sorts of festivals. But if you go to other festivals and just see how they're run, you know, you get a good feel of it. Like. Um, so when I first started doing improv and I first started going to festivals, you know, there were some festivals you'd go and you just wanted to go to a festival no matter where it was. Like one fest I went, I drove 12 hours, I performed 20 minutes at 6 in the morning. <laughs> was it worth it? Uh, I don't know, probably not, you know, but it probably it was definitely worth it, I think, at the same time to get that experience to see how that feels, right? I've learned, too, from like a booking the festival if you have a group coming from far away you want to give them a, 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 at least a good time slot you know what I mean you might have different stages where you just can't give them certain stages because uh, it might not work to the style and just the length of the show because some headliners have longer set lists and stuff like that but you want to give them at least you know a good 20-25 minutes of stage time and a good time slot you know you don't want to put them at like a six in the morning in a back room somewhere, which I've done a few of those on. So you learn from that. You don't want to do that because those people probably won't go back and saying this was an awesome festival to perform at. You know, I, performed <laughs> I can't front... even really imagine like, yeah. my, my first... having 6 a.m. shows. Oh, yeah. Like... It was a, it was a... Is it because there's, it, like, that's not the... It, fr- it was that's... a marathon or something like right, that. Right, right. So... That's the, uh, that's... Yeah. so that's a late show, yeah. not an early show? I don't even know what it's called. I've had a few of them. <laughs> so, like, the that was a Toronto Improv Festival. So I did that. We drove all day, and then we performed at, like, 6, 6.30 in the morning or something like that. And we had a lot of fun. Because it was part of the experience of traveling together, you know, performing. And the people, actually, the, the small audience that was there was a 
pretty cool audience. We had, we had a fun show, but there weren't many people there. And we, then we left, and we're like, I guess that's done. You know? There was no one hanging out. There was no one doing anything. Nothing <laughs> like that. So it was kind of a waste. Right. But we've been to Miami Improv Festival, I think, the first time. It was a smaller audience and a very small stage. You know, I think we had a decent time slot and stuff like that. But the performance wasn't that great, but the experience was really cool. You got to go to Miami. They had good after parties. A lot of the performers hung out and everything like that. So that was cool. You know what I mean? They took care of you as a performer at that time. You had pizza, you had beer, whatever it is. And there's some fest you just kind of show up and you like leave, you know? And you don't want that to be the experience. I mean, I'm sure sometimes Providence Improv Fest has been that to other people. You know what I mean? I've gotten feedback where it's kind of been like, I traveled all this way and I got stuck in this spot at this slot. I'm like, you know what? I could, you know, some people get negative feedback and you're like, screw you, man. I try to be like, yeah, I can see that. I understand that. Good. I'll make sure I don't do that again. You know what I mean? Because we used to do stuff on like the stage and we did our best and we thought it was an okay setup, you know, but for someone coming from wherever they were coming to perform in like a, a makeshift stage in a spot that didn't wasn't as cool as the other spot could be a little disheartening to them you know what i mean so you got to learn that so when you're accepting groups you got to think am i able to put them in a good spot can i put them in a place where they'll be like oh i'm so glad i came you know i get to do this spot this location and i get to perform the show block with this person or is it are they like a mediocre talent level where you're like, eh, I'm not quite sure, but hey, cool. They're from uh, Mississippi. Let's it'd be cool to have an improv group from Mississippi and you stick them on like a, a midnight show and the worst theater you got. That's a terrible experience for them, you know? You shouldn't do that. That's one thing. Accepting groups, just don't accept them because they're from out of state and that sounds pretty good. You got to take in mind... If you're going to accept someone traveling from a long way, you want to try as best as you can to give them a good spot and a good location. You know? That's good advice, especially now that, like, um, whatever that uh, website is, I can't think of the name, where it's, like, so easy to apply to the festivals. The Improv Network. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, so, it's, like, so easy to just apply to, like, every improv yeah. fest. And so you could, you could be your first year doing a festival and regardless of whether it's going to be a good fest or not, you're going to get people from Texas who apply and stuff like right. that. And it's like, oh, well, you know, this this, uh, this group is okay. Like, we'll, you know, and then you end up, right, giving them this, like, and it's like, oh, they do a Herald, and then it's like, well, we'll give you this 15-minute slot. And it's like, well, you can't do a fucking good Herald in 15 minutes. Right. Like, why, yeah. like, what's the point? Like, why yeah. don't you just not accept? them if they're gonna right. if you're gonna give them a 15 minute slot to do their herald that's why you gotta tell them how much time they're gonna get minimum right sometimes you'll extend it uh, so they know coming in is it worth me even signing up for it? and if they sign up for it you know then they know how much time they have so you can't really uh they can't really complain that much if like if you say you got 15 doing a herald you can do it but um yeah, but I think that's important, though. If you're having a group come out from all the way, traveling wherever, you can't give them a shitty experience, you know, for your festival. You can't just stuff them somewhere just because they're from out of state, you know. Right, so it seems like... So, like right, so it seems like kind of the way I would interpret that if I was going to run a fest is like, <clears throat> as much as further distance appeal when it seems appealing, that further distance requires requires you giving them a longer set so then like 
you have to weigh those yeah. things equally. Not even longer set, but maybe put them in a better position for them to succeed. Or, yes, it, it, it involves some other group. Right, which means you're taking it. away from a better group right, probably exactly. being That's in that I mean. spot. Which sometimes is fine, because that group can probably handle it anywhere, right? But at the same time, you've got to be thinking about it. Is it worth this group to come travel this way on your end to bring them in? And that, I've had the last few years, a lot of times, groups from outside the state are a lot of people just starting out. And you can tell they're just starting out, right? And it's new, and that's awesome. And you're like, all right, I really want to accept this group, because they're... Uh, that was me one day, you know, signing up for every improv festival. I really want to get in these festivals. Cool, and I got accepted to all these festivals. And that's how I really started to love the improv community, going to all these festivals, traveling all the time, you know. But at the same time, running a festival, I try to consider, is this group strong enough to hold a good spot, you know, or, you know... Uh, wherever it is. Luckily, I think at the fest now, most of our spots are pretty good. I think I've kind of limited the midnight shifts that we used to have or the, the really late shows where we're not going to get a, a large crowd. I think uh, this year specifically at the fest, I think the smallest crowd was uh, 35 or something like that. You know, every every show was pretty well attended uh, from, from what we could do. Half full or completely full. So I thought of uh, two... Two new questions that weren't originally nice. on my list. So, so uh, at PIF, you guys have concurrent shows. Yeah. So, um, so like, what do you think the pros and cons are of are of having concurrent shows versus having longer a, a longer festival? Whether that means more days or whether that means going later into the night. So that's good. So it's cool. Yeah. So experimentation is what gets you 14 years of an improv fest, right? So the first year was three groups, two days, and then I think we expanded it to right away, I think we did it maybe three days, I can't remember, and soon after that was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? So we, we had a long time. So there are great things to having it stretched out if you can, um, but it, uh, on the organizers, it takes a lot out of it, you know, that you're, you're exhausted. You're like, you absolutely hate improv at the end of it. Right? <laughs> uh, and it, but just cause you've been doing so much and it's tough. There are benefits to it cause it's longer and you get to see different things and do different. Right. Things. You don't have that conflict of like, right. My first, my, my favorite group is playing during the same time as my second favorite but group. And you still did groups. that though too. We do that long. I think Wednesday and Sunday were the only days where we didn't have concurrent groups, I think. So we'd always have, back in the day, we used to perform at Trinity Rep in the, base, in the, the bottom theater too, which was a huge, nice theater. So we'd have like maybe TJ and Dave in that theater and then Parallelogram a phonograph in the, the black box down the street. Uh, so it was pretty... oh, that's, that's torture, man, as an yeah. audience member. We tried not to do that back then. I don't think we actually had that. But we had a, you know, Mauro got some, I think improv was a different thing back then. I think with the festivals where these, like, our festival headliners were amazing, super amazing. They're still really amazing. You know, it's really good. But they were easy to get back then, I think. And they cost less, I think, in a way, because there weren't as many festivals as there are now. It's exploded. I tell you, yeah. when, when I first started, just I'm sure someone that started when I started could see it explode. But when I first started, 
you know, there were festivals here and there, a lot of festivals, but now it's just, there are festivals everywhere, like it's two, three, four, five, a weekend, it seems like that. Right, you know, right, you figure if there's yeah. 50 states and every state's having a festival, that's one a week, right. so and there's more, and there's more than that. Yeah, now you're competing for headliners, and headliners, all right, they're booked at this place, so I can have it, and then they're like, ah, oh, you know, they their rates are going up, and it's awesome, because, you know, they're getting paid for doing improv better than they used to and what they should get you know what i mean and it's a good thing that they you can say oh this person's awesome it's good they're, someone's getting they're paid. making a, a super awesome career out of traveling to festivals and stuff like that that's awesome so when we used to do it we've tried it a few different ways where we'd have it like over four or five nights where we'd still have it concurrently and you know we'd have some shows the shows won't be as jam-packed throughout the week i guess you'd say some would, some wouldn't, right? Um, uh, we did pretty well, I think. I think it was, uh, but you'd have some really shows with hardly anyone in the crowds, right? Because there's only so many can extend, especially in like Providence, you know what I mean? There's a lot of people like to go out, but there's so much other stuff happening in Providence where you can only compete so much with so many people. So what we used to do too is time the shows different. So at 8 o'clock, this show would start. And then we'd start another show at 8.30. And you know what happened there? Is people would leave one show to go to the other show, see the start of the other one. So they'd see the one act there and then leave. So people were switching shows all the time. Or people weren't, uh, you know, people just didn't know what time the show started in which theater. So it was so much confusion. So it was really tough to kind of figure it out. Um, I think the advantage that the Providence Improv Fest has is our theaters are right next to each other. So you know which show is happening for the most part right there you can see it and you can see which show is packed which show is not so if that show is sold out you can walk right next to the other show so it's really a cool combination where if we had one show one theater right there and then we had one further away you couldn't do that you'd be out of luck or you just kind of go home or something like that Right. So I think that's really cool. Whereas like, doing that. yeah, like DCM, it's like eight theaters. Right. So all over the city. You got to take a map. You got to do a, a, a chart. <laughs> you got to you gotta plan your whole day. When we've had uh, just down the road a little bit, at, I think we had it. It was a, I think it was called the Roots Cafe, but it was on Westminster Street and Empire Street. It wasn't that far. It was like a five, ten minute walk. And we, we just had a tough time people going to the other shows. We'd have really good acts in there, but people just didn't. They want to stay at the main venue and then hopefully get into that and just kind of have that party-like environment of seeing the shows together. So it was really tough to kind of get people to kind of go back and forth. You could space it out. I mean, there might even be an occasion where we add another day or something like that to the festival. Like Sunday might happen again. But it's just, uh, you know, it becomes exhausting, I think, for performers and stuff like that. Uh, and... People, Especially with the... People are doing getting the volunteers to do it. That's a whole thing. You know what I mean? And I think I've gotten to the point where I'm like, what works really well? What shows kind of do well? It might be a little more jam-packed than we're like. Like, I'd love more opportunities to have more days for workshops and stuff like that uh, throughout the week and stuff like that. I don't think we can kind of accomplish that as best as I would like it to go. I think we can do it. But I really want maximum kind of impact for everything that we do you know what I mean I don't want to spread it out and make everything thin because I want like this is the fest it's these three nights 
I mean, if I added a fourth night, it'd be cool, but we got these three nights, and this is when it's happening. Be a part of it, hang out, do all you can during these nights, and just kind of like, let's get it out of our system. Like on the third day, just, you're exhausted. You're performance-wise exhausted. I think audience-wise, it's really tough for people to keep coming back for a fourth day. <laughs> They're just the real improv junkies that come back. And a lot of it at the end, you know, you, you got to think of, like, how are we going to get people to keep coming to these shows and stuff like that. I think we did a really nice job of being successful on, like, Sunday night shows and stuff like that. But the last couple of years we did it, we were just like, I'm so tired. Because i got to clean up after this. So the fest has to break down. It's really a lot of work. Yeah, the fest, the, going to the workshops is, like, a whole adds that whole other layer because it's like you're there yeah. all night <laughs> Friday all night then you get there at 9am Saturday morning right. to take the workshop and then you're there till. I think that's something we're probably going to consider is adding more workshops on Sundays and stuff like that but there's also the more you do that too the more it adds to cost as well so it's a lot of different things so if I'm booking a headliner that teaches a workshop I gotta pay you know, you're paying for hotel and travel and stuff like that. So it's an extra day there. It's an extra time. It's an extra thing. You know, so all that adds up. So the more you do it, you can't really get to it as well. A lot of people, a lot of festivals are able to do it and they do great jobs with like sponsoring and all that stuff or they have more theaters where they can do kind of different things and stuff like that. I'm still working on the workshops because back in the day, believe it or not, we wouldn't sell out some workshops with amazing teachers. Yeah, you told me, like, yeah. they'd be like, TJ and Dave and stuff. Well, TJ like... and Dave, I, TJ taught, and we had a big crowd, but there were, like, other ones were, like, I'm like, how is this, how are we still looking for people to come to this workshop? You know, I can't figure it out. But the good thing now is the community's a lot bigger. So right, like growing. the, uh, yeah, like the Krakowski one sold out in hours. Yeah, last year, Susan Messon and Rachel Mason sold out within an hour, you know, and years before that you know everything sells out really good but I think opening Providence Improv Guild and I don't know if I've done the best job out of it but I've really tried to kind of venture out to kind of uh, all the communities and make sure that they know about these things and to feel like they should be here as much as possible I'm trying to do better that every year just to make sure I can incorporate all these people from the Rhode Island community in the improv world to feel like they're part of it because they are part of it. It's not just one group. Everyone technically thinks it's so, oh, this group's running it. When no, it's not this group's not running it. You know, it used to be like Improv Jones. Oh, Improv Jones does the fest. No, Improv Jones doesn't do the fest. You know, we kind of started the members of it, but it was also part of like of Unexpected Company too. And then before it was like, oh, Province Improv Guild runs the fest. No, not technically. They don't, they support it, but they don't run the fest. You know what I mean? There's a different side of it same people in a lot of ways but it's not the same thing you know cool so we spent a lot of time <laughs> talking about that but i still had uh let's see which of these questions are do i think are important um do you spend any money promoting the fest or is it all volunteer stuff promoting yeah i spend money um still trying to figure out the best way to do it I like facebook advertising I think that works. So I spend money on that. Boost and posts. Posters. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously you have to pay for posters. Yeah, right? press releases, stuff like that. Um, uh, I 
I try to talk to like you know, Amy Ponce has been great getting it on the radio at Light Rock 105. Um, try to, Light Rock 105. Yeah, she's been promoting it for years, so she's been great at that. Uh, volunteers getting the word out. It's different from having Facebook is makes it a, a little bit easier in a way to kind of get the word out, and uh, but it also could kind of be bugged down. So we we spend money on advertising for sure, but I'm not quite sure how much else. I like a podcast. I've promoted on different Jimmy Crane Improv Nerd podcast before for submissions and stuff like that. But what I really do is trying to, I don't know, you know, for submissions, I promote to get the word out on Improv Network, post different things. Uh, it's just Motif has been a good sponsor. So they've always been, a, I think, pretty much the whole time they've been sponsoring the best. So uh, they, they help us with the ads and pay for some stuff there, too, and some other things. Some stuff doesn't isn't really worth it. Some stuff is. It's really tough to kind of figure out. I always want to put a big giant billboard of <laughs> Providence and Providence, but the, you got to do that really way ahead of time. That costs a bunch of money, and I don't know if it's worth the return or not. I have no idea. You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys already have such like it'd be it'd be it would almost make it tough to tell because well, some of them. I mean, like a lot of the shows will already already sell out it's stuff. Yeah. So it's like... Uh... Well, it's tough. The more money you spend on advertising, too. You know, I the, the thing about running the festival and selling tickets and stuff, I have no idea how many people are coming to the shows. Like, I... You sell tickets beforehand, but, like, there'll be shows are like, oh, man, we only sold five tickets before the show. Oh, I can't believe it. And then the show will be sold out. And then you'll be like, oh, the show sold 30 tickets. Awesome. And that's all we get is 30 tickets. It's like weird. It's, a, it's really it tough weird. to figure out. And I have no idea like the, uh, like how many people are actually going to make it to the shows or not. So, and how they find out. I mean, it's different. Word of mouth is the best way to do it. I mean, a poster up all throughout Providence. I mean, we have volunteers that do that, try to stick that up at, as early as possible. I mean, that's a frustrating part about running the fest. Sometimes you get posters of people, I'm saying, can you pass these out? And they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. And I'm like, please, don't take them if you can't pass them out. And then they take them, and they're like, oh, I never passed them out. And you're like, ah. That's why I just don't take them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say. Don't take them if you don't want them. I don't care. if You don't You don't have to pass anything out. It's awesome if you do, but only do it if you're actually going to do it. And there's some people that really pass out stuff and do love doing that and a big help for it. Because I don't like doing it, but I ended up doing it ton this year I'm like oh this is the last thing I have time for like I'm running around because I got like 20 minutes so I'm running around stores and putting them up all over the place and stuff like that and I'm like but you know people don't have to volunteer I love people to volunteer you know what I mean because that's the only way it really works is I could, you couldn't do it without volunteers like you or anyone else but the people that volunteer and don't actually do what they're going to say they do is frustrating because you're like oh that just wasted time and money, you know what I mean? Without, without even doing it. It could have been done. It could have been done. You didn't have to say it. You didn't have to be nice and say, oh, yeah, sure. You know, I wouldn't have been mad at you if you said no. All right, so um, I'm trying to just power it. I, I uh, wanted to do a few different topics, but we've... Cut it down. Cut up the crap. <laughs> yeah, all right, cool. Uh, you got plenty got of time. All, time yeah. all right, cool. So we can do this a whole other topic and then a set, and it'll yeah, be fine. Sure, all right, cool.
You good with that? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah? <laughs> we, might, I might, we might have to take a pee break. But, uh, <laughs> Come ahead, David. You let me know. Um, Alright, so one of these questions. What are tips for getting top backs? We can answer that quickly. Is it just money? Uh, availability, money. Find out who knows who. You know, because not everyone knows who everyone is. That's why when I asked you that day, I was thinking... Uh, I was thinking Craig Gakowski and our Shuxedo and stuff like that for this year. And then you said that. I'm like, great. All right, I'm going to ask him again. I, d- I didn't know if they'd be available because Craig's in a lot of TV stuff and <laughs> everything else. And he's, he's constantly, a star. He's constantly performing at uh, festivals and teaching and doing all sorts so of So great that, like, that they can make a living just yeah. doing that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, he's... He's making a living just fine. But. Right. But it's cool. But to see that people know, I try to put out feelers of who would you like to see come to the fest. I try to put out people I've always wanted to try and get. Um, and people I kind of keep an eye on how they're going. I, I usually look at other festivals and see who they have. You know, and I say, uh, I wonder if that person might want to come to Providence. Try to vary it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, and it changes, you know. Sometimes, pretty much all the headliners we've had, it, it's been nice to have them. They've been really, really good, you know. They've kind of put in great workshops and good shows and stuff like that. And it's always been worth the money. Um, you know, occasionally you're like, eh, wish I could, maybe it would have, I don't know if that worked out that well, you know what I mean? But, uh, but still a good experience, good to know, you know what I mean? But I, I try to ask a lot of opinions who people might think of, you know. I always talk to uh, Jed Arkley in the Stumptown Improv Fest because he used to be uh, performer in Improv Jones. I just say, hey, how'd this person do? Or what are you thinking of this year? Or what do you think about this person, you know? Kind of shoot the shit of people like I do know throughout the community from just kind of, you know, making friends throughout the years, what they think about different things, you know. A lot of it's availability, so... Just right, the yeah. cost and airplane cost too. You know what the so I can book someone for this amount and I'll be like, great. That sounds great. And then you look at the the flights and it's two times that amount and you're like, oh my god, you know. <laughs> and uh, we do very minimal sponsor sponsoring, so it's kind of just like what we've recruited over the years. So it's just kind of like see what we can do and do it. Cool. All right, I want to take a quick uh, sure. a quick That's break and then do some more. Got it. One of beer. You've been listening to Improv Town. If you enjoyed this episode, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're in the Rhode Island area, don't forget to check out all the great local improv. Pig, the Providence Improv Guild, has shows every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 8. The Contemporary Theater down in Wakefield is currently doing Maestro Improv at 9.30 on Fridays. And the Bit Players do Shore Form down in Newport every Friday and Saturday night at the Firehouse Theater. And that's BYOB, so that's always fun. You can also check out Improv Jones, Rhode Island's longest-running improv show, on the first Saturday of every month. That's down at the uh, AS220 Black Box in Providence. Last but not least, there's a new improv theater in town, Wage House, which has shows every Friday night at 8 in Pawtucket. And many of these theaters also offer great improv classes, so don't forget to check those out as well. I'm sure Google can help you find everything you need. See you next time.